I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. When we set out to do a series on healing, one of the initial conversations we had was we need to talk to experts. We want to talk to people who can help us dig into this healing work, the definition of healing, the process of healing, the steps that we need to take in order to seek out healing. We need to talk to people who have not only professionally facilitated the healing experiences and processes for other people, but have themselves sought out healing. We're just diving right in here today because I think it's really important to kind of lay the framework and the groundwork. If hurt people can hurt people, which is a phrase that you're going to hear us use quite frequently over the course of this series on healing, if hurt people can hurt people, then healed people can help others heal. And I think digging into right from the get-go, the transformative experience of healing, what is healing by definition, seeking out security so that a person can see beyond trauma and woundedness, and what does that actually look like? In a lived experience, in the day-to-day reality of, of suffering and hurt, what does it mean to seek out healing? What does that look like? How is that found? And, and perhaps even most importantly, and this is the heart of this series and the heart of today's conversation, how is the sacramental life of the church a part of that? You know, this is a, a series on healing from a Catholic perspective. And so, of course, the sacramental grace that we experience as Catholics in the Eucharist and reconciliation and the anointing of the sick, even in our own baptism, certainly in the moments of encounter in the confessional and when we go to mass, but even perhaps in those moments where we don't even realize the grace that has been poured out upon us and and it kind of hits us like a lightning bolt later on, how are we talking about the sacramental reality when we look into the healing journey? And so, of course, To kick off this entire series, we wanted to sit down in the very earliest days and talk to Dr. Bob Schutz, who not only himself has a powerful story, which you'll hear today, but also has insight into the practicals, insight into the what this looks like, into the insight into why we might be avoiding this and how to stop avoiding it. Dr. Bob Schutz, of course, has written a number of amazing books, Be Healed, Be Transformed, Be Restored, Be Devoted. He runs the JP2 Healing Center, has his own podcast, Restore the Glory. I mean, this is the guy who I think is leading a lot of the conversation in the healing process for a lot of people. And it's always a great joy to get to sit down and talk to him. This, of course, is all part of our Ave Explores series on healing. You can find everything we're creating over at the Ave Maria Press website, AveMariaPress.com. Follow us on social media at Ave Maria Press on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We are there. We are sharing stuff. We'll also have some exclusive information about our Instagram live conversations, which we think you'd really enjoy. You can sign up for our emails where everything will come right to your inbox. You know, we're really proud of what we create here at Ave Maria Press. Ave Explores is something really excellent. And this season, we've got incredible conversations. So we're so glad that you're here as we kick off with this excellent conversation with Dr. Bob Schutz. Dr. Bob Schutz, welcome back to Ave Explorers. Thank you, Katie. Good to be with you. It's always a joy to get to visit with you. I, I think when I tell people I've got to interview Dr. Bob Schutz, it's like, wait, the, the Be Healed guy? It's like, yeah, the Be Healed guy, uh-huh. JP2 Healing. I, I get to talk to him 
Some folks know who you are. Some folks maybe have heard your name. For those who don't, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll kind of get into your story a little bit. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. You write a book and all of a sudden you become bigger than life and you, <laughs> you know yourself and you know that you're just the same person. So some of that same person, uh, just kind of give background. I'm a lifelong Catholic and have gone through deeper conversion just in my late twenties, early thirties, which we'll, we'll get into as part of my story. Grew up in a family of seven children. My parents were faithful Catholics, it seemed, and then things fell apart. So I had experienced both uh, what I thought was a really good, healthy Catholic environment, and then a lot, a lot, a lot of brokenness after that. I got married towards the end of college uh, to my wife, who I met in high school, and we dated for three and a half years and got married and had two children, two daughters, and now those two daughters have been married for many years and we have 10 grandchildren. So uh, life is full. And I was for years a therapist and a teacher and transitioned into John Paul II Healing Center, which I know we'll talk about a little bit mm -hmm. as we go. So that's basically it. That's kind of in a nutshell. Um, mm -hmm. That's the CV. I, I <laughs> want to go back to what you said. So the wheels kind of fell off. And I think that that's what started to lead to your your eventual career. So tell us a, a little bit of that that story. Did you just wake up one day and say, I want to be a therapist? Or was there a process in your own life that led you to wanting to be a person who helped foster healing for others? Yeah, I didn't know I wanted to be a therapist until I was a therapist, actually. But <laughs> I, I realized I became a family therapist at the age of about 13 or 14 when issues started happening in the family. <laughs> and I started taking both having compassion for everybody, but also this false responsibility for helping everybody. So we were involved in Christian family movement, uh, which was at that time was really solid in the middle of the church. Catholic schools went to mass every Sunday. We had priests and seminarians and religious, just a part of our life. It was, it, it seemed like a really healthy environment. And as far as I was experiencing it as a child, it seemed that way. But after my Dad's dad died in our family home when I was six. My mom said she noticed him starting to pull away some from her, even though mm. we didn't experience that. He was still very involved as a coach and as a dad and a good dad. And I saw love between my parents. But kind of as I got into my early teens and I saw some conflicts and my dad was traveling and drinking and then having affairs that we didn't find mm -hmm. out about till later. And then that eventually split the family. So that was devastating. Mm -hmm. You know, some people experience divorce as, well, finally, this is a relief from what we've been living in. And that wasn't my experience at all. It was mm -hmm. just really devastating to lose not only that stable family life, but lose my dad. I, I didn't see him for two years. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was a really painful time. And a lot of insecurity around that. And at that time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. What I knew was that I missed him and I loved him and he wasn't there and I didn't know whether he was alive or dead. But immediately with my mom struggling and my younger brothers and sisters, my older brother, Dave, stayed in Pittsburgh. We all moved to South Florida and he became a heroin addict within a very brief period of time. He'd already mm -hmm. been dabbling with drugs before that. 
And so I lost my older brother and my dad. And so I became, you know, if you will, the the man of the family, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just realized looking back that feeling everybody's pain and wanting to do something about it, I just had this natural disposition to be sensitive to what was going on with other people and desiring to help, but not very aware of my own pain, which is, yeah. you know, kind of one of the coping mechanisms for a child. But it wasn't until my senior year of high school, I was at Chaminade High School, Catholic High School in, in uh, Hollywood, Florida. And there was a priest, Father Richard Kanugi. I don't know whether he's alive or dead, but mm-hmm. and he doesn't, we've never had this conversation. So he doesn't know that he influenced my career. But there was a course on psychology and religion. And we studied all these Catholic authors about marriage and family life. Mm. And as I read that, my heart came alive. And it was like, this is this is the first thing that I've really been passionate about. Mm-hmm. And again, at that point, not connecting it to what we'd just gone through. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of a little obtuse in that way. But mm-hmm. just loved it, just passionate about what I was reading and what I was studying. And so I went to college and said, I'm going to study psychology in college and went to Columbia in New York City. And it was social psychology and experimental psychology and not at all what I had experienced in that class. Uh, It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't catching my interest. So I was actually going to be a football coach at the Mm -hmm. end of my college career. As it turned out, I found a graduate school at Florida State that had marriage and family as the focus. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is this is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't know whether I was going to be a professor in a university or a therapist at that point. So I kept praying and kept praying. And it turns out God wanted me to do both. So mm-hmm. that's why I couldn't decide. So I, I opened a practice and was an adjunct professor for mm-hmm. you know the next 30 years or so. Yeah. So out of a wound came a desire to not prevent other people's wounds, but but heal the wounds that other people were were dealing with. I, w- I want to go back to 14-year-old Bob, uh-huh. who learns the truth of your dad and is in kind of the midst of, of I think, trauma is the word that we should use. Yeah. There's sometimes that, that moment of hurt, that moment of injury, the coping mechanisms that we start to create for ourselves, the how do I yeah. handle this when I'm alone by myself and I think about this this hurt that I've experienced. And there's kind of, at least in my own therapy journey, right, my therapist has often told me there's two responses, right? There's the response of self-harm or there's mm-hmm. re- the response to you become like almost overly productive, right? Like yeah. I can't I can't sit in my woundedness, so I have to make myself busy. What what did you find yourself kind of dealing with? Like yeah. it sounds like you just didn't even realize that, okay, well, this is what I – you just – it sounds like yours was that I'm going to make myself busy response. Is that what happened? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I was already an athlete and good student and had friends. And so I just focused in that direction. Uh, just, mm-hmm. I, I remember when I heard the news, my parents were divorcing. I just sat there and sobbed. And so mm-hmm. it, I can think back to that moment and the, the pain of that moment. Mm-hmm. But it was like it was done and I was moving on and it was a hard adjustment that year when we moved to Miami, but I never associated it with this trauma. It was just like, mm-hmm. this is what you have to deal with. And yeah. But once I got my footing again, and we as a family kind of got our footing again, then it was just engaging in life. And, it, and I had no idea that I had wounds that were unhealed. I really didn't mm-hmm. discover that until 
probably 20 years later. Yeah. That, that's, it's that line. Oh, this is just what you have to deal with. I feel like yeah. that's the mantra of humanity. Oh, you just got to yeah. deal with it. You just got to put it, put up with it yeah. and then you die. And that's <laughs> never been resolved or like yeah. there's all of this hurt people, hurt people. Like there's yeah. continued woundedness. I think a lot of people listening to this are going to hear that and think, oh my gosh, okay, well, like I have that moment at 14 or I have that moment at 16 or that moment at, at God forbid, like much younger with something incredibly yeah. traumatic. Yeah. And so many of us just say, okay, this is what you have to deal with and never get to, this is what I have been dealing with. And now this is how I'm going to f fix. It's not the right phrase. My therapist but, always tells me, you never, <laughs> never fix, fix it. it. You never right. fix it. You're not right. fixing anything. You are, yeah. you are rebuilding and you're, you're patching over why do you think people do that? Why do you think people just shove it down and hide it? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One is I don't think there's anybody, when everybody's going through trauma together, there's nobody there to stop and say, hey, how are you doing? Mm. And at the same time, I don't think we have enough security in the midst of the trauma mm. to stop and pay attention to it. I, I, it really, what I've learned is it really requires a greater level of security than the woundedness before we're ready to deal with the woundedness. Because mm. if... If all we have is the woundedness, and that's the primary thing, then it feels like our our whole reality. And then it, that trauma always feels like I'm not going to survive. You know, I'm not going to make mm -hmm. it. And so we can't afford to go there. Mm. And I think in God's graciousness, he doesn't lead us there until we, until we have that security. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, I feel like I'm in therapy. Like that concept <laughs> of, of security is such a, it, say that one more time because it was so beautiful. If we don't have more security than woundedness, then, the then we're then the trauma just kind of envelops us completely. Yes, it it, it seems like reality. Mm. And so, is healing the process of allowing ourselves to find that firm footing so that we can then handle the trauma? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Healing is always about an encounter with love. Mm. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, it's a reason why once we get on with our life and have stable relationships, get married, have family, that we then deal with our healing for one reason, because we're running up against it in our relationships. But for mm -hmm. second is we now have enough security. We now have enough love and enough sense of belonging mm -hmm. that this emerges. You know, it's like our mm -hmm. heart now says, okay, I'm safe enough. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think back to, and this is our first episode of the season, so it's, you know, apt to share. When I was in high school, we had a massive hurricane hit my hometown. Wow. And, I, you know, so many of the things that I then dealt with in life, I can trace back to being evacuated. Dad has to go home and fix things. And so we're all living with my grandparent and that feeling of I'm unsafe. Yes. And so I'm going to try to do things or try to find things that can make me feel safe. And in the process, that's just hurting myself. And so then later on in life, you have to figure out how to weed those things out. That's often what happens, right? There's a trauma, there's a hurt, there's a wound. And so we seek out, we self-medicate with a yes. variety of, of horrible things. Your book, Be Healed, digs into that. Some objectively are worse than others, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter what like on the hierarchy of evils you're doing, you're hurting yourself in some way, shape or form because it all goes back to that. I want to find something that I can control or something that seems like it's helping me. So people resist finding healing because of the unsafe, or they try to find their own versions of, of creating safety in your ministry. I mean, in the earliest days, as you start to work with couples, as you start to work with families, 
At what point did you realize I may be helping other people find this safety and security? I need to seek it out for myself. Again, I wish I was that aware early on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to make it sound terrible because we did deal with stuff in graduate school Mm -hmm. at, at some level, but I was there to, in my mind to help the other people. Mm. And it wasn't until I started having anxiety mm. and I had no idea where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, it was when I was teaching, I would have some anxiety of getting them in front of a class, but it was more the anxiety I started to have in my relationship and my marriage relationship that, that really triggered things. And it was anxiety over losing my wife, like I'd lost mm-hmm. my dad. And I didn't, at that point, didn't make the connection that this was mm-hmm. an echo of the loss. You know, it's just like, if you love somebody, you're going to lose them. You know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of the internal, yeah. internal anxiety that came. And that anxiety drove me to therapy. And it was only in therapy that I began to discover that there was a whole bunch of undealt with trauma mm-hmm. behind this anxiety behind this current circumstance. Mm -hmm. And that's when I first became aware, if you will, of there's a lot here for me to deal with. And yet it wasn't until a couple of years later, my spiritual experiences of having real security with a group of men that I was in retreat with, you know, ongoing formation Mm -hmm. with, and then an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's what that's the encounter with love that changed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and really set my direction from there. This episode of Ave Explores is brought to you by January Jane Shop, a trending lifestyle boutique for Catholic arts and goods with vintage flair, owned by Colorado-based artist Jana Zaniga, who creates beautiful and intentional products to promote our universal calling to sainthood. Her collections include folk-style prints, Polaroid photographs of modern saints, which we have used in our Ave Explorer series on the saints, cozy t-shirts, stationery, mugs, and a lot more. All of her products are inspired by rich Catholic traditions using floral themes, ancient prayers, and sacred art in her designs. I've got a lot of her things in my house, including the Polaroid photographs of modern saints right above my desk where I record this podcast. It's such a great comfort to have the real faces of these real people who are cheering me on in my own journey to sainthood. If you're looking for an eclectic gift full of meaning, January Jane Shop is the first place you should go. Visit JanuaryJaneShop.com and use code AVE20, that's A-V-E-2-0, to get 20% off your order today. We have a link down in the show notes. That's January Jane Shop, today's sponsor. There's secular therapy and it's good and valuable and and I would argue necessary. Mm-hmm. And then there kind of comes a moment where the Christian realizes the secular psychological approach, while scientifically valid, almost leaves me kind of wanting. And I'm, I'm being careful in saying this because I, I started in therapy with a secular therapist who did great. And like we did the work that needed to be done. But there kind of came a moment where it's like, I need to, I need to talk about going to mass and why like certain moments in mass are are triggering for me or why certain things in ministry are like, I'm avoiding them at all costs. And, and so that healing component on a practical level needs to begin maybe happening in my faith journey. So yeah. tell us, tell us that story, this encounter with the Holy Spirit, that moment where healing, I don't want to say went to the next level, but that the healing maybe took on a, a different form. Yeah, what I would say is, is my therapy really prepared my heart to open to the Holy Spirit. 
And mm-hmm. it was just a, a grace moment and a, and a moment that I've been praying for for a long time, but it was on a weekend. I was actually struggling during the weekend with my heart pretty shut down. Mm-hmm. And I remember a, a young teenager got up and shared about the grace of the Eucharist. And there was something mm-hmm. in his sharing that I could experience the Holy Spirit touch my heart. I'd also gone to confession for the first time in a while. So mm-hmm. again, you hear the sacraments and we went to mass. And at, at the time I didn't put these together, but about three hours later, the grace of those, the witness and the sacraments opened my heart with a group of men. And we were just around praying, mm-hmm. actually on our knees praying at way past my bedtime. <laughs> and uh, I just, we, we just, the best way I could say it is the Holy Spirit just came upon us. Mm-hmm. And at first I saw it in them and I was feeling mm-hmm. like I was being left out. And then I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the way that mm-hmm. I describe it is it felt like the scripture says rivers of living water mm-hmm. flowing up from your belly, but it felt more like a waterfall, you know, like a Niagara Falls kind of <laughs> intensity. Yeah. And it was this simultaneous outpouring of love scripture says the holy spirit has been poured out into your heart it was like this overwhelming experience of intense love Mm -hmm. and joy and i began to cry and laugh at the same time Mm -hmm. and it it felt like i was going to explode because i couldn't contain it and and what Mm -hmm. came to me is you can't put new wine into old wineskins because the wineskins will burst Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's literally how i felt just like I'm going to burst here. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is too much. But it was so joyful. And it was the first time I really cried Mm -hmm. in 20 years since my dad left. But these Mm -hmm. were now tears of joy, tears of relief. And I spent the whole next day in tears of just total joy and Mm -hmm. communion. And my brother Bart was on the weekend and we we had our own encounter Mm -hmm. of grace. And then three months later, I had an experience of facing that with my dad, mm-hmm. the the experience of facing him leaving, you know, and it wasn't mm-hmm. with him immediately with him directly, but it was facing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And because of this security with the Holy Spirit, I was able to fully grieve. Mm-hmm. And that really had an impact, a huge impact in my yeah. Re- marriage relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, my yeah. family. I can imagine like you're, you're abandoned as a child. There's probably always this fear of, okay, the next person is going to leave. Yep. And that at first seems very, okay, yeah, like that makes sense. If one person leaves, you assume everybody's going to leave. But as that just festers in a heart for decades, it can it can lead to, again, the hurt people can begin to hurt people. There can be, the, oh, well, if, if she's going to leave, maybe I should leave first. Or, well, yeah. then I can never get close to somebody because I can't let them, if yeah. I'm too close to them, it'll it'll be too hard when they do go. Yep. Um, and and you, it's not conscious. It's it's not conscious at that right. point. Right. It's I mean, the human brain is yeah. <laughs> it can it can get really messed up really quickly. Yeah. The human yeah. heart can be very broken and we're just kind of pretending that duct tape and, and some some glue sticks will keep it all together. And yet it is that that security that comes from a love of the Holy Spirit, an awareness that God's constancy is what can provide that security for me to confront this. You mentioned a couple of times this group of men. 
Yeah. And you know, and, and it's something my husband and I talk about frequently that like all of his guy friends that have gone to therapy are better men and all the, the guy friends he has that are like running from it are actually probably <laughs> like slowly destroying their families and not realizing it. Do you think it's harder for men to seek out healing? Yeah, I think it is. I think we're, we're, we're taught to, you know, like with any pain, just buck it up and get mm -hmm. through it. You know, we're in sports, you know, you get an injury, just yeah. Keep going. Grin and bear it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's part of our mindset. And there's a good part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're going to be in war, you you can't be sitting there afraid of how you're going to get wounded. You know, you have mm -hmm. to toughen yourself. Same thing in sports. You, you just can't be conscious of I'm mm -hmm. going to get hurt. But, you know, now men and women both are in those arenas. And so there's still something in the masculine mm -hmm. identity that says I can't be weak if I'm weak. If I'm vulnerable, then I'm weak. Mm. And if I'm weak, then I'm inadequate. And, and it's a man's worst fear yeah. is being inadequate. Mm -hmm. yeah. And do you find that healing work actually reveals slowly that our weakness is made strong in Christ or like our inadequacies yep. are actually a feature, not a bug. Like it's actually something that we can yep. hand over to the Lord. Absolutely. St. Paul says that, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's like I rejoice in my weakness because when I'm weak, I'm strong because your grace is made perfect. Mm -hmm. It's like until we get to that place, we we, we live in this ungodly self-sufficiency where I'm going to mm -hmm. manage my life. And it's really that control, however we manifest that control mm -hmm. that keeps us from healing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, this is my security, it's my own control, whether it's mm -hmm. control inwardly, which was mine, which is, I'm going to just keep everything in control without being aware of it, or control mm -hmm. outwardly, which is, I'm going to try to control my wife's behavior so she doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those things are really destructive internally and externally. Yeah. And it's in that vulnerability that we can have intimacy, that we can have real relationship, that we can have God's strength to love mm -hmm. rather than to, to fix, as mm -hmm. you said. You know, there's so much here, and I think folks listening to this who have signed up for the whole series, who have looked into your book, have listened to your podcast, they might start to ask this question of, all right, I get it. Like, I need to start on this journey, or at the very least, like, there are things that I'm starting to feel or I'm starting to dredge up. What's step one? And, and then I want to go back to your, your, the story of your brother. But, you know, I, I feel like now's the moment to kind of give a couple of practicals. The journey of being healed has to actually start somewhere. So, so how do people really begin to set out on that? Well, I say, uh, for me at least, and I think for most people who are in the faith, it starts with prayer. Mm. And, and I think it starts with, if you're able to, it starts with the sacraments and it starts mm. with community. And when we have that kind of healthy community and a sacramental life, and I'll talk more about that with the sacraments in a minute, but mm -hmm. just those graces in our life, those sources of God's help and presence make a huge difference in our capacity to heal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody has that awareness, that would be the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then from there, resources, you know, learning, you know, this podcast series that you're talking about, our mm -hmm. podcast series, the books, the other conferences that we do. And there's lots of others uh, that are talking about healing, you know, Sister Miriam who teaches with us mm -hmm. uh, in her work. Those are all really helpful to begin to get an understanding and also a, a pathway. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to somebody of saying, you know, what, what happened as he 
started on this journey is he found a pathway to healing Mm -hmm. and now he's got to walk it. Mm -hmm. And so then what does it look like to walk it? Sometimes it's in community. Sometimes it's with family. Sometimes it's with a therapist. Sometimes it's with a spiritual director. You know, it's, it's uniquely tailored, but it's somebody to accompany somebody who's going to listen because one of the things we found out in trauma research is that there's the initial trauma and then there's the trauma of not being able to share it with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so one of the great things about therapy or about having a good friend who really has an understanding heart or a good spiritual director is they can be present to have you share. Mm. And as you feel that security and that safety and that relationship, your heart just naturally opens up. You know, you ever notice when you're with somebody who you just really feel safe with, mm-hmm. your just heart opens naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And then pretty soon you start having conversations about the things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And those lead to the deeper places of the heart. Yeah. yeah. A good friend is a sturdy shelter, right? right? Like, there like you go. scripture tells us. Like yeah. you feel safe in the house. And so then you start to yeah. you start to share all the gunk that's going on. Let's let's go back to the story of your brother and and that sacramental healing cuz the person who might be tethered to the church or at the very least like loosely connected to faith it might not be that surprising like oh yeah of course the holy spirit's going to come into my life but a person who might be far from the church or a person who might think it's a bunch of hocus pocus might be really shocked by that that gift that prayer can lead to so so tell us that story yeah my brother dave uh, in fact let's start with prayer uh, my mom and my brother bart and i were in a prayer meeting and the holy spirit was so powerfully present just, you were, we were witnessing God moving. Mm-hmm. And so when we came together at the end to pray, we had two intentions, one for my dad, who was going through a second divorce and was struggling mm-hmm. with alcoholism and was having affairs still. And the other was my brother, Dave, who was in jail from possession of or selling mm-hmm. heroin. Mm-hmm. So we, we prayed. We, there was a such confidence and it was a life-changing moment for both of them. My brother Dave got released from jail into our home. And my daughters are young teenagers at this point. And he was kind of rough around the edges, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of coming from a drug culture. And he has he was not using the whole time he was with us, but he could see that something had shifted in my life mm-hmm. because of those experiences and in my brother Bart's life and my brother-in-law Nick's life, who had also gone through. And so he became interested in going on this retreat, which I was just shocked because he hadn't expressed any interest in any of that for 20 years at least. So he ends up going on a weekend. And at the time, the same time that I went to confession that night on the Saturday, he went to confession with our pastor, who's still our pastor today, 30, 40 years later, 35 years later. (laughs) But he confessed everything. He was touched by the weekend. He was confessing everything. But then he went to, to bed that night. It was in the church building. He was went to bed on a cot. And all of a sudden, his realization of what he had shared. And it was like, he'd never faced it before. Mm. And even though he confessed it, now all the self-hatred that he had been storing up just started pouring out. Mm. And, and the enemy, I'm sure, was uh, really helping him at that point. And so he he just felt so unworthy, he got up to leave. But instead of leaving, he ended up at the foot of the altar. Mm. So again, the, the, the grace of the sacrament and the grace of the weekend kind of drew him mm. there. 
And he began to just cry out to Jesus at that point, how can you forgive me? How can you forgive me? All these things that I've done, how can you forgive me? After getting it all out, he heard in his heart, has your family forgiven you? And he had to acknowledge that we had. Mm-hmm. And the inner voice of the Spirit said, where do you think they did that? How do you think they were able to do that? And he heard from you, Jesus, from you. Mm. And then the next words were, if your family who does not have the grace of the sacrament can forgive you, don't you think I can forgive you directly through my priest who's standing in my place? Mm-hmm. In which case the dam broke and all of his pain poured out. And so now instead of self-hatred, which was all the self-hatred was just pain directed mm-hmm. inward. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked in the beginning about some of us function and others do self-destructive things. He had done self-destructive things. So now it's just all pouring out. And as it's pouring out, he's just finally receiving the reality that he's God's beloved son, that he's mm-hmm. receiving the mercy and the love of God, that he's forgiven. And the next day when I saw him, I was just absolutely astounded. He looked mm-hmm. 20 years younger. He looked mm-hmm. radiant, like I've never seen him. And we embraced each other. Then he shared the story. And I was just mm-hmm. so overwhelmed with gratitude. And then mm-hmm. he ended up getting AIDS from before then from a needle. But we didn't know about it until mm-hmm. a couple of years later. The second sacrament was the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And mm-hmm. it was... He was in a coma. We went to visit him at my brother Dave's, my brother Wayne's house. And as he received the sacrament of anointing, he was in a coma. We went to run. My brother Wayne, my sister Margaret, and I went to run to plan his funeral. We came back. He was sitting up in the bed. And we run into the room. And what happened? What happened? He says, well, when I got anointed, Jesus came to me. I, he, mm-hmm. I, he brought me to heaven, mm-hmm. or I went to heaven and, and I saw Jesus. And he said, it's not your time yet. Mm-hmm. You have a little more time. And I have more work for you to do. Uh, so go back and I'll come soon. Mm-hmm. We see him and he actually lived two more weeks. Wow. But the grace of that sacrament, I saw the power of that sacrament, mm-hmm. not only to prepare him for death, but it was a little resurrection mm-hmm. you know and he was able to see his daughter and say goodbye his wow. girlfriend his daughter to say goodbye he was able to say goodbye to my mother my grandparents and then my dad came down and was actually holding him mm. as he died and my wife margie and i were there and and it was just amazing the grace mm-hmm. of that sacrament and all the healing that took place yeah just because of that intervention from god mm-hmm. in that moment so I just, from that point on, my book, Be Transform, I, I talk about the healing power of the sacraments. I've just come to a great appreciation for mm-hmm. yeah. how the sacraments, in the biggest sense and in the most immediate sense, are healing in our lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. It's, um, yeah. it's powerful. They're not magic tricks. They're, no. they're intentional encounters with the grace of God in this, in this physical way that we, I think we forget sometimes because... These powers of tra- these powerful stories of transformation, 
those are the norm, but I don't think we tell them enough or I don't think we talk about them enough or, you know, even if it's just the simple, you know, I got anointed before I had my gallbladder removed and it transformed me from being nervous to, this is just a routine procedure. It'll be fine. Like I'll wake up in a few hours and this thing that's annoying me will be over with. And like it, it is. And sometimes it is this powerful moment of like reconciliation was able to occur as a result of this encounter. Yep. Dr. Bob, where can we follow you? Where can we listen to you? Where can we buy your books and, and learn a lot more about the great work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, John Paul II Healing Center is our ministry. You can get us online on our website. All of our material, books, conferences, everything's there. And then podcast with Jake Kim is called Restore the Glory Podcast. And you can get that on anywhere that you get podcasts. It's a great one. I listen to it as much as I can. Yeah, Sometimes you. I have to break them up because my life does not give me a ton of time <laughs> to listen to things, but that's great because then I just keep going with the conversation. Dr. Bob Schutz, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Katie. I always enjoy it. You know, when we sat down to do the interview, I, I kind of told Dr. Bob at the very beginning, and I've interviewed him a handful of times on my radio show here on the podcast. I've read all of his books. I said, I, you know, I'm kind of fangirling a little bit. When people find out that I get to interview you kind of on a regular basis, they're always like, oh, the Be Healed guy. And he laughed a little bit. I'm sure you heard him in the show. You know, you write a book and you kind of become bigger than life with the book. But see, the really beautiful thing about Dr. Bob is that he's telling a story that he himself knows. Like he's he's fostering opportunities for healing because he himself has healed. He, he's telling us about wounds and woundedness because he himself has has confronted his wounds. And so as with everybody you're going to hear from this entire season, Sister Josephine Garrett, Regina Boyd, Scott Weeman, Rachel Kalaki, Letitia Adams, Father Sean Kilcally, all the different people that we have coming on the show this season, they're going to share the practicals and the specifics and the expert opinions about healing, but they're also going to tell us about their own journey of healing. And I think that's really beautiful. I think that's quite necessary. And it's something that I'm greatly looking forward to helping share with all of you. Don't miss any of it. Make sure you sign up for our emails over on the Ave Maria Press website, AveMariaPress.com. You'll get the emails straight to your inbox. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. If you like what you're hearing, share about it on social media. Tag us, tag me. We'd love for you to help us get the conversation out there more. You know, Ave Explorers is a a Catholic Media Association recognized podcast. We are knocking on the door of 300,000 downloads. We are really proud of everything that we've created. And the 17th season is certainly one that we are super, super excited about. We're glad that you're journeying with us. Make sure you stay tuned for a whole lot more coming in this series on Be Healed. We're super grateful that you were with us this week. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.